0: This is The Guardian.
1: Hello, it's Mike. Today we bring you the third episode of the extraordinary story of Julia, a woman who escaped modern slavery right here in the UK. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, then I suggest
2: you go back and listen to those first and then come back to this one. And a warning before we start, this series includes references to suicidal thoughts and descriptions of sexual exploitation and
1: violence, so take care when listening.
3: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.
2: Do you think that he was expecting
1: you? I mean, he must have known that Julia had been taken away by, by the police.
4: Without, without a doubt, he wasn't expecting us.
1: When the police break down the door in sunbury thames they find Julia alone. She tells the detective, Martin, that he doesn't know who he's dealing with. Her bosses are dangerous. But she wants to escape. And she wants justice for what they've done to her. Julia tells Martin her boss Alexander is in Epsom. She doesn't know the address exactly, but the view from the window is etched in her mind. Her description is enough for Martin and his team to pinpoint a location. So two days after he finds Julia, Martin pays Alexander a visit.
4: There was a a lady um, just for the occasion waiting for a client. He was in one room, which... I can only describe it as like a control centre. And he had a desk with his PC on. There was a whiteboard above the desk, which had a telephone number on, which was subsequently linked to some adverts. And there was a map, and on that map, he'd actually circled the location of brothels, like towns. So it's like, OK. And he, what he'd done is he'd written the driving distance and the travel time between all of them. So it's like, OK. And there was bundles of cash in thousand pound bundles. When we actually went in the door, uh, he was actually in the process of googling a locksmith in Sunbury on Thames, which is where we'd done the warrant on the Friday. No doubt for the door that we'd busted, so it wasn't very good for him. <laughs> Let's just put it this way:
1: when a brothel run by an organised crime group is raided by the police. It's not unusual for the whole network to shut down and disappear without a trace within a few hours. Not this time. It obviously had never occurred to Alexander that Julia would dare to give information to the police. Maybe he thought his control over her was so powerful, so complete, that he didn't need to cover his tracks. He'd underestimated her.
4: Just need to explain a couple of things to you okay. before we get started. This was
1: the start of Martin's so, investigation.
4: Anything said in this interview can be used in evidence. Okay, okay. Uh, obviously it's being recorded, that can be paid back. Um, this interview has a potential. It would
1: become be a sprawling two year operation that would pick apart a complex web of sexual exploitation, money laundering, and fraud and consume both Julia and Martin's lives as they fight to bring the exploiters to trial. From The Guardian, I'm Annie Kelly. Today in Focus, the woman who took on her traffickers and won. Part three the operation. We went to meet Martin at Surrey police headquarters. His years taking down human trafficking gangs have seen him become one of the UK's most experienced detectives in the field. He's a big guy, broad shoulders with a shaved head. You can imagine he wouldn't break much of a sweat kicking down a door. But there's also a softer side to him, which comes through within minutes of meeting him.
4: So I was born in Birmingham. We ended up moving over the border into Warwickshire. Um, Parents split when I was three, and I, well, (laughs) um, went down a bit of a bad road in my very early teens. I was a member of a low-level street gang, and. Lost friends who are no longer here was, you know, everything from one took a blade in the chest to doing other things. So, you know, it was a bit of a battle to start with, but I managed to be diverted at 16. Later in life, I ended up joining the police.
1: That's a really unusual (laughs) trajectory from (laughs) from hating the police and being on the other side, being in a gang, to then deciding that you were going to join.
4: I, I, I was fortunate because I was diverted before, you know, if I go to say, I haven't got a criminal record, obviously. And, uh, you know, there were some well-timed interventions.
1: I mean, and does it give you any sympathy for, for people that you see getting caught up in that world who are kind of going into criminality at a young age? Does it give you more sympathy for people?
4: Uh, in some cases, yes. I think if I had my time again, uh, and I was a teen now, I think... If I was of the same mindset that I was back then, without a doubt, I'd probably be selling drugs or running drugs around the country and stuff. A big part of why I'm so sort of strong now against going after exploiters is because of that. Because, you know, you're a coward if you use a kid to run your drugs. And if you are using force or dominance or whatever to exploit another person, particularly for financial gain... We're not going to be friends. Isn't it's, it's, it's a bit strange, isn't it, really, that you've got post for one address that is a brothel, and you've got post for this address in Working, which is also a brothel. How do you explain that? No comments. Are, are you working for somebody? No comments. Is it the case that you know you're working for somebody and you're you're just being paid for your time? No comments. Or is it that you are the boss of these venues? No comments. And are you benefiting from the proceeds of, of, of the activity at no those comments. locations?
1: After the raid, Martin strongly suspects that what Julia has told him is true. Alexander is running an organized crime group, making money from women in brothels across the south of England. What's your goal at this stage?
4: So one of the things you've got to do with sort of any serious and organised crime really is follow the money. Uh, And clearly we've got quite a structured financial or evidence of financial network here. But with him, it was obvious it was all to do with prostitution because, you know... We went in there and there was like a delivery, I think, of about 500 condoms that had been posted to him because it was still in a wrapper, you know, with his name on. So it's quite obvious where all this was coming from. And when you start thinking, well, I've got a map here and I've got all these bundles of cash, we literally did find silly sums of money. I mean, they look like £1,000 bundles potentially. And there's other cash found, What's of 50s and whatnot. Why, why have you got so much money? No comments. I'm going to point to this bundle here. You can see at the top here, it's got the word Malden written on it. Does that relate to the new Malden address? No comments. What do, what do these notes mean? No comments. Uh, and why, why is it hidden under the, under the thing? No comments. I mean, I, mean I, know, I know that people get worried about burglars and things, but why is it not in the bank? No comments.
1: After his initial arrest, Alexander is released on bail, while Martin tries to stand up the evidence he's found, doing what he calls kicking over rocks, trying to build a case he can take to the Crown Prosecution Service. He starts doing warrants on the other brothels on Alexander's map. Each time, he seizes evidence, including mobile phones, and sends them for analysis.
4: Every phone that came back, you know, we were finding images of women posing for uh, a certain adult website with their reference numbers so it's like victim or willing participant right we need to find that person so that then resulted in applications to the websites for bits and pieces of information and then it's well where is that person are they here are they overseas wherever so literally we would start one action that could then generate three or four more and it just spiraled
1: if he can prove that alexander and those working for him, were making money from these women. Then they could be charged with controlling prostitution for gain, a crime under the Sexual Offences Act of 2003, which states it is illegal to intentionally control or profit from the prostitution of another person. There's also multiple leads relating to fraud, money laundering and other financial crimes.
4: It was a complex money laundering operation there's all these different Polish nationalities being used, different names, different companies.
1: But there's one other line of inquiry that Martin is setting his sights on. Julia has told him that Alexander drove her from the brothel in Woking to the flat in Sunbury Thames, just two days before the police found her. If Martin can stand this up, and that Julia was exploited when she got to the brothel, he would be able to charge Alexander under the Modern Slavery Act. Modern slavery is an appalling crime that damages too many people's lives. This government is determined to give law enforcement the tools they need to stamp it out. The Modern Slavery Act was passed in 2015. Stamping out trafficking was a key priority for the then Home Secretary, Theresa May. The Modern Slavery Bill will be one of the first acts of its kind in the world. What it will do is ensure that law enforcement have got the ability to deal with the slave drivers. It increased the support and the protection given to victims of modern slavery, and for the first time introduced the possibility of a life sentence for traffickers. It will bring in tougher measures to deal with slave drivers, tougher sentences for those who are committing this appalling crime. To prove that Alexander trafficked Julia in that car journey, Martin needs a few elements. First, the car.
4: She says she was transported in a Silver Audi after we'd arrested him. So, oh, Silver Audi, he's got the keys to it, right? We'll take that. So, we seized the Audi at the Epson address. Uh, tell me about that car. No comments. Is it your vehicle? No comments. Um, I'm going I'm I'm to suggest that it is. Um, my understanding is that you referred to ownership of it when you left the property on arrest. So if, I'm going to refer to it as your car.
1: Next, the journey. Could Martin prove that Alexander drove the route Julia described around the time she said he did? For that, he turned to mobile phone data. And, sure enough, it suggested he had travelled from Woking to Sunbury-on-Thames at around 10pm, just like Julia said.
4: Um, I know that a grey Aldi was used to transport the lady, and I'm going to suggest that that was on Wednesday the 18th, so two days prior to us finding her.
1: And finally, could Martin stand up that the journey ended at the brothel? Julia says on the night in question, Alexander had parked in a car park not far from the brothel which, Martin realises, means that there could be an evidence trail. If you've tried parking in the centre of a town recently, you'll know there's now this annoying thing where instead of just buying a ticket, you have to enter your registration number into the machine. Well, this car park near the brothel was one of those. So Martin went to the car park company, requested the data, and there it was, Alexander's registration plate.
4: Were you in the car at that time? No comments. Are we going to find you on the CCTV at that time? No comments. Is that vehicle going to be there? No comments.
1: And they got the CCTV images to match. He stayed for 22 minutes before driving away.
4: So I said, well, listen, trafficking's made out, and as much as he's driven her from one brothel to another, and he will clearly know what she was there for and he's benefiting financially, so that was the exploitation.
1: Proving the car journey is a huge moment for Martin, a breakthrough that will allow him to argue before a jury that Alexander was not just profiting from prostitution, he was facilitating human trafficking, which could mean a longer sentence. Meanwhile, Julia has been in a safe house, getting support from Sarah and trying to recover. Six weeks after she was found in the brothel, Julia makes the huge decision to give an interview
2: to the police. I have support worker. She told me, "You, you give all information. You don't need to go in for video interview. You don't need to tell." You are thinking you don't need to do this, but I'm going because is this not just me? Is this many people like me? Many people. People from village, even in the city, you don't have a knowledge. You don't understand what's going on in the world. Julia gives Martin crucial evidence
1: that gives the case even more momentum.
4: Things such as recruiting techniques, methods, websites used, individual roles, who did what within the organisation, that was most helpful. She spoke about other people that she'd come across whilst working there, other women. All sorts of stuff like that, really, that sort of helped us. You said
1: that it was kind of silly amounts of money. Like, how how much money did you start realising that this one organised criminal gang might have been making from
4: six properties? The thing is, I still don't have a firm figure on what they've earned, but I know that it would be hundreds of thousands of pounds, hundreds of thousands.
1: Over the following months, with Julia's help, Martin starts to discover... That the tentacles of this criminal operation stretch from the UK into Poland and that most of the money is being siphoned back to a big boss, the one really running the show, over there. Alexander is really operating more like an area manager. It's all much bigger than Martin originally thought. And, and what were your impressions as you were going through this investigation of this criminal group?
4: I'll be perfectly honest with you, I was getting really stressed out, I, I actually got borderline very unwell because I was just like, "Just what are they doing, where are they, who's doing what, when will it end, Was oh, I, that, I kept saying that, I kept saying that to the inspector, when will it end, because it was just a case of, I wasn't intentionally kicking rocks over as well, it was just like, oh, more and more just kept appearing. Between us and Poland, we identified 127 women of interest. Some were easy to find, some we know of and can't locate, and others we've never been able to identify.
1: Martin spends months tracking down women he thinks are linked to the network. Of the ones they can locate, some decide not to help the police. Around 20 women say they were exploited by the gang but they don't want to go to court. But two other women, as well as Julia, do agree to testify. A real achievement in a case like this. The Crown Prosecution Service agree to go ahead. So in February 2021, over two years after Martin found Julia, he has enough to make his move. On a day of coordinated strikes across the UK, more than 50 officers raid six brothels at the exact same moment. They arrest Alexander and his right-hand man, Marek, and both the receptionists.
4: Okay, and I'll just follow you both, you're both under arrest on suspicion of human trafficking, further evidence in relation to the offences arrested for last year. Now, you do not have to say anything, but it may hardly your defence. So you do not mention, the web question, something which relates to law enforcement. report. you understand?
2: Yes, we understand.
1: They're all charged with conspiracy to control prostitution for gain and financial crimes. Alexander's also charged under the Modern Slavery Act for facilitating travel of a victim with a view to them being exploited. Finally, after more than two years of investigating, the case is going to trial. How responsible did you feel for Julia? Because that must have weighed on your mind as well.
4: Let's put it this way. Um, I made a promise to her on a day that I'd do everything in my power and do my best to get this lot. Actually, I think that was exactly the word. I made a promise. And that's all you can do is try your best. And I was scared of failing, I'll be honest with you.
3: Did Julie have to give evidence in court? So she gave two video recorded interviews, which for anybody who's gone through the kind of um, serious offenses that she's experienced that's best practice is that you do video recorded interview because it means that can be presented in court rather than her having to give that story in court but then she does still have to be cross-examined in court and that's probably more traumatizing than giving your story um, in the first place. She did it via video link um, to kind of, again, safeguard her so that they didn't know where she was. And so she didn't have to see them in person. But she attended this other court via video link in a room by herself, looking at a bunch of screens of people she didn't recognize, but also being able to see the traffickers in the videos for the first time in, you know, however many years. So it was very traumatizing for her. She was cross-examined, I think, by four different defence attorneys.
1: In the four hours that Julia sat with us in the Guardian offices, she talked about many terrible things that she'd been through. But the most angry and distressed I saw her get was when she spoke about being cross-examined. Despite the fact that she was acknowledged as a victim of sex trafficking by the government, she didn't feel like a witness. She felt like she was the accused.
2: Is this has been my first court in my life. I've never been to the court. I just don't understand the system and I've been very upset because I'm coming to the court. They ask me. I tell them what happened. Why they twisted their meaning. The barista asked me, did you say to the police you come in UK 2014? Yes or no? Yes. Did you say to the police you going to Poland any time and back, true or not true. I mean, they twisted what I say to the police. When they ask me this, I say, no, it's not the truth, it's just not like that. I want to say, I've been to the Poland, but this has been before when I come into the UK. She tried to shut up me and twisted what I say, and it's showing to the people, like, I'm lying, which is not the true. Yes, I say to the police, I'm going to the Poland, but this has been before when I come into the UK, not when I've been to the UK. They just, you know, they just play with people mentality.
3: The way it works is, you, you know, they can pose a question to her and she can say yes or no. And as soon as she says yes or no, they can interrupt her and move forward, even if there's a lot to explain. So they would often say... You had so much freedom. You had so much money. You were going out and buying yourself train tickets to these different places. You you were going to a church on this day, blah, blah, blah. You were just actually living the life. And they would put that to her and she would say, no, I wasn't. And then they would ask the next question. And the jury hears that and she doesn't get to respond to any of it. She was just accused and accused for a, a day and a half straight. And I imagine it's
1: quite aggressive questioning. It's fair job, isn't it, yeah, yeah. to to,
3: oh, to make it... It's not trauma-informed. They don't have to be trauma-informed in the way that they're doing it. Um, and that's why the court process for victims of trafficking and sexual offences are so re-traumatised through the process. Because everything we've been trying to do for the last year and a half is helping her to feel empowered again, helping her to feel confident. And then she goes in there, and it is just brutal. I mean, it, there's no grace, there's no understanding, just... You chose this.
2: I see you first time today, and you're sitting here and charging me for what I do in the job or something. Who are you? Who are you? Where are you being when I I don't have any penny to buy food? And you're sitting now here and you charge me for what? For what? This is not from God. The people make these rules, people make this system. If you so smart, you make this system, they do the system proper. They just don't care. Mm. Is this one way, is this being very, very upsetting and very bad and I being feel very dirty after court? Is this, you know, like <laughs> you're broken the hands, you're going to the doctor. And after you back to the doctor, he checked the hands and broke in again. And you're healing again. And after again, this is been like, I feel start recovery, but I back to the court, I feel I'm again uh, back in the past. I see my bosses again in the video. They, they look at me, I'm very angry. Oh this is been so dirty feeling. So dirty.
1: Julia was so confused by what was going on at the trial. She didn't even know who the CPS prosecution lawyer was, or even that they were on the same side.
3: They had not once seen each other's faces, talked, said any pleasantries. So after four defence attorneys did their cross-examination of her, it went straight to her prosecutor. But at that point, she was so stressed and anxious, and the prosecutor was trying kind of desperately to to wrap it up and, um, and get through clarifying some points. To her, it was just another defence attorney questioning her, challenging her, because she didn't know otherwise at all. And she came out of it saying, I thought that there was going to be one person on my side, and instead I just had five defence attorneys cross-examining me.
1: The trial was deeply traumatising for Julia. But according to Martin, her evidence was so powerful that it moved some of the jury to tears. Along with Julia's account... The jury also heard testimony from two other women. One of the witnesses was only 18 when she arrived in the UK, homeless and alone. She says she responded to an advert for a massage job, not knowing it was really for sex work. She ended up at Alexander's door. She says she was immediately told to put on a latex dress. Her first client would be arriving within minutes. In December 2021, the jury reaches its verdict.
3: So Martin, he called me and he called and just said, Sarah, we got it. Like, we we got it, we got it. Um, and I said, what, what do we get, Martin? Um, and he said, modern slavery charges, all of everything. So, you know, I'm like super excited and just celebrating the moment um, with Martin because I know he's worked so hard for it. All of us have worked so hard for it.
2: for everything that you done, thank
4: you. Listen, not a problem. Thank you. Um you still got my number if you need anything in the meantime. Um, um, when
2: when you're going
4: holiday? Oh I ain't gonna get a holiday anytime soon. Loads of work to do. But either way, listen, we'll speak early part of the week. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You get yeah. you you go get yourself off to work, um digest the news. Alright.
2: Thank you for the update. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate it for everything. You've
4: been to me. No worries at all. We'll speak next week. Okay. Take care. You have a nice evening. I'll Bye. try. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Coming up the sentences.
3: And we've got
4: Martin with us. How are we doing? Freezing cold. I know. How are you doing? Not too bad. look at this shady character coming across the car
3: park. Oh,
4: yeah.
1: On a very cold and grey morning last January, a month after that jubilant call to Julia, we go to meet Martin and Sarah and some of the team from Justice and Care at Guildford Crown Court to watch the gang be sentenced. It's a nail-biting moment. Everyone's on edge, including Martin. How does this feel today, awaiting the sentencing on this particular case?
4: It's odd because it doesn't matter how much work you put into a job. You, you know, when you get to court, you just you're facing someone else's hands, and there's all sorts of things that run through your head. Like you know, have I done enough? Um, you know, what, what mood is the judge in? You know, what are they thinking? And just well, I suppose it's the uncertainty really of just not knowing what's going to happen. But you have to respect whatever the outcome is anyway. So.
1: Can you just talk us through how important this particular case is and how important the, the conviction and now the sentencing is from a personal perspective for you?
4: So, for me, um, I can tell you now, my kids are already pleased to see me. Um, it's been hard work. Um, I've been kept awake at night. I've woke up at three in the morning. It's certainly been the most testing investigation of my career. Um, so, for me, it's really important, not just because we get a decent outcome for you know, the people involved, but it's got to send a message that you know the, the, what's what happening is not acceptable.
1: This moment is about getting justice for Julia, but it's also a huge achievement for Martin and his team because it's really hard to get a case like hers this far. Modern slavery charges are some of the most difficult to get to court. These investigations are complex, expensive, And because it's so hard to gather concrete evidence that proves trafficking, a conviction usually relies on traumatised victims sticking with the process, often for years. Julia has said that without a victim navigator like Sarah, she never would have made it to trial. In 2021, the year Julia's case went to court, only 114 people were convicted under the Modern Slavery Act. For me... Being there after 10 years of reporting on modern slavery, having covered so many stories where justice isn't served, where victims end up being prosecuted themselves, or the police don't believe them, I knew how rare this moment was. What sentence would you want to see today?
4: I I don't know. I have to sort of sit on the fence a bit with this one because, I mean, it's it's one of those... um, Many people will say you never get what you think people should get, so... It's a bit annoying for me because I know during the course of this investigation we identified 127 women out of phones and various other things, but unfortunately because they're not all given evidence, the jury don't get to hear the full impact of what's gone on and obviously the judge can only sentence on evidence in the case, so it's, it's, it's yeah, for me, what, what I think about the overall picture and what I think will happen today will be two different things, but I can only go by what the law permits us to do. So. Good luck. Yeah, thanks.
1: (laughs) We walked into the courtroom. We kind of sat in the the tiny space allocated to the public gallery. And then the two women defendants were brought in, both of them looking extremely emotional, both of them in tears. Then about ten minutes later, the two male defendants were brought in, both of them you know, kind of in their 30s, bald head, both of them wearing kind of sportswear. They sat down, uh, they kind of exchanged chats and smiles and waves with the women. And then the judge came in and the proceedings began. And first the prosecution got up and spoke and they outlined uh, where they were in the case, the fact that this case had 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 a successful conclusion, they'd had a conviction late last year. Then all of the defence lawyers stood up and made their cases for lenient sentencing for each of their clients. So each one of them spoke in turn and then the judge went on to his sentencing. So, when he was doing the summing up, how did you feel?
3: Yeah, for me, obviously, I'm here for the modern slavery. I'm here for the victim of a serious crime, but they were also the suspects were there, defendants were there for a number of other crimes that you know involved fraud, money, but um, that that started kind of being the main thing in in the judges summing up. It was all about the money and how they'd taken advantage of the system. You know, you're just greedy people and focus, focus, money, money, money. And uh, these victims, they, you know, they stepped into a situation where they were taken advantage of. That wasn't good of you. And it started to shed light on probably where the sentencing was going to go. And what was it like in the room? Were you kind of all yeah. looking at each other? Did anyone say anything? I mean, Yeah, we... We were looking over at each other nervously. No one was talking. I felt like everyone was just holding their breath.
1: Finally, the sentences are handed down. For the two receptionists, who were working the women to the point of exhaustion in the brothels, 15 months and 20 months suspended. One of them had already spent time in prison while waiting for the trial, so was told she could walk free that very day. For Marek, who collected the money, 32 months. But again, taking into account time already served, that would mean less than a year. Finally, Alexander, who was convicted under the Modern Slavery Act. Three and a half years. His sentences for controlling prostitution for gain and modern slavery would run at the same time. So in reality, with time already served, that would mean just over a year behind bars. At the sentencing, the judge expressed sympathy for the women who gave evidence and said they had been treated badly. Speaking about the woman who was 18 when she entered the UK, he said... You exhibited complete callousness towards her. She was told, you're going to do sex here, bitch. She was young, vulnerable and needed help. You treated her without a shred of compassion. However, he ruled that under the CPS sentencing guidelines, the lead charge that all four defendants were convicted of, controlling prostitution for gain, would not be classified as a category one offence the most serious category involving force or coercion, as Martin had hoped. Instead, it was a category two, which carries a lesser sentence.
3: So how did you feel when you heard? Uh, just... Uh, you kind of go through, like, disbelief, speechlessness. I don't think anyone wanted to talk immediately afterwards because no one wanted to be the first to say they were disappointed after all the work that had been put in. Obviously, Martin was still in the courtroom when we first um, kind of took the headphones off. Part of me wanted to be like, you know, silver lining, like, ah, oh, it's, it's still great. There's so few convictions, uh, you know, we've, we've got something, um, they'll be in prison, she'll be protected for a little bit. But ultimately, yeah, you could just tell everyone was like, eyes closed. Looking around, confused, not wanting to talk, so disappointed that that's, that's what you get after everything, um, and that I'm gonna have to, you know, tell her that. Yeah, go on. Okay. She'll want to know in practical terms how long does that actually mean. Yeah. Hi, I'm here with
2: Martin.
3: How, How are you doing? doing? <laughs> um, I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you at home? Uh, yes. Okay, brilliant. Um, so is it a good time to just quickly update you on everything?
1: As Martin yeah. and Sarah huddled in the police office, calling Julia to let her know the news, I stood outside with our producer Elizabeth Casson. Very. It was a real feeling of dejection.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I just, I just wonder when you've got sentencing like this after two and a half years. Yeah, I think that's them. Yeah,
2: that's them.
1: As we were recording, the receptionist who was freed walked out of the court behind me. We watched as she walked to the car park and drove away. Julia was only just getting the news of Alexander's sentence.
2: Yeah, but
4: how long he Oh, he, he got... just short of three and a half years, so, I mean, he's going to have to go back and do... Um. What? Just over a year. Um. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you hadn't been brave enough to, um, basically speak out, they wouldn't have even got what they've got now. Mm. They'd still be doing it.
1: Yeah.
4: So that's the important thing. They're not. They're not hurting anyone else now. And that. That. That's. That's going to be the ultimate thing we take away from it. Yeah.
2: You've done very long job. Two years investigate and just. That's
4: ridiculous. They wouldn't even be going to jail unless it was down to you mm. on that first day. So you need to give yourself a pat on the back, um, have a vodka or whatever it is you're going to do, and um, look to sort of start putting things behind you. Mm. Alright?
2: Martin, well, thank you. Thank you all your team and for you as well and for Sarah. I know you're doing a very hard job, but yeah, I see them not, it's, I just couldn't believe.
1: What did you think of the sentencing?
2: I don't think it's proper sentences. What happened after a couple of years when they're going out from prison? Bosses like that, they not forgive and not forget. Even if they're not coming, they will send someone to find. They not forgive. The girl stole 200 pound and they find her they broken her cheek um, I don't know where is she. And what happened to her?
1: They're asking you to testify and then the sentencing is not protecting you. The
2: people like that supposed to have more. Not this is what they have. Not this.
1: What is it that you want out of your life now?
2: I want to have a normal family. I want to have my daughter with me. I want if we can go in park or church or spend time together or doing something together. I just want to have a normal life.
1: Tomorrow, our final episode. Marta they bombing airport.
2: 30 miles where my daughter in the village.
3: Um, I have some news for you. It
2: knows. I'm just thinking how I want to cuddle her. <laughs> I
3: know, what a day, huh?
1: Our thanks to Justice and Care for putting us in touch with Julia and supporting her through the production of this podcast, especially Sarah and Jamie, and to Surrey Police for allowing us access to their investigation. In order to protect identities, names in this series have been changed and Julia's voice has been altered. Suspected cases of modern slavery can be reported to the National Modern Slavery Helpline on 0800 121 700. If you're struggling with your mental health or having suicidal thoughts, please know that help is available. You can contact Samaritans any time of the day for free on 116 123 or email joe at samaritans.org. This series is reported and produced by me, Annie Kelly, and Elizabeth Casson. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Joshua Kelly. The commissioning editor is Nicole Jackson. We'll be back tomorrow.
3: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call.